Hey everyone, welcome to Tales from the Bridge. I am Tristan. My name's Marty. My name's Kevin. And I'm Sam. And in this episode, we're talking about Old Man's War by John Scalzi. Is that a classic? I'm pretty sure it's a classic and it's not even that old. What a great book. Everyone loves this book. If you haven't read it yet, read it. All right, we got a lot of fun things to talk about here, so let's make our way over to the bridge. I'm going to start with um, Dogecoin, a little cryptocurrency discussion. Um, you know, it's funny, this linkage, everything we talk about always has to have something to do with Elon Musk. Um but this is, I think, one of those stories that draws on so many different aspects of interesting things that are happening right now. Um, so this this story involves two things. One is signs out in space. So like, you know, big brands uh, orbiting the Earth, um, exactly like Blade Runner or this dystopian future. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard this, but there's a Canadian company called Geometric Energy Corporation um, that is paying SpaceX in Dogecoin to put a giant billboard up into space, um, which is, of course, the worst thing I've ever heard of uh, until I read a bit more about it. And it isn't actually a huge billboard. It's a little billboard. And it basically <laughs> takes constant <laughs> selfies of itself. Um, and people can pay, of course, in Dogecoin uh, or other cryptocurrencies to have their brand displayed up on this little billboard with the earth in the background. Uh, so it's a selfie machine. Oh, so you're not, we won't see it from down here. Correct. We'll just get pictures of it from up there with us in the background. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. And I think that's the best possible thing you could do with anything that can leave earth and go to space to take yep. selfies. Yeah. What else, of what else a, of a, the biggest meme coin of all time, Dogecoin. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so when I first read it, and it's interest, interesting because the Independent, uh, you know, the newspaper in the UK, is, is blaring this with headlines saying, giant billboards being flown up into space by SpaceX. And, uh, and if you read the article, it says nothing about what's actually happening. They're trying to uh, sensationalize this as being exactly what we're all fearful of with, uh, right. Right. with the commercialization of space. But yeah, well, no. a little bit of knowledge is always a dangerous thing. Yeah. Right Makes on. Thanks for great clickbait. Yeah. And exactly. this also, I mean, the, actually, it's neat. This is the first time I've heard of this concept. And the first thing that came to mind right away was SpaceX and, uh, and uh, the, the, the red uh, Tesla Roadster that they put in space, right? And they kind of took a selfie of, of this fake mannequin in the Roadster with the don't panic button and the earth. Was the earth in the background? I, I oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Some point. So, I mean, that's kind of like uh, the, the first of this, I guess, uh, new trend in advertising that we'll probably be seeing for the rest of our lives. And also, sensationalizations of, of sensationalization of, of space things, right? Let's, yeah. let's, what can we do in space and make it uh, exciting to our brand uh, a la um, Richard Branson with Virgin and, and uh, Blue Origin, right? They're all trying to promote and try to get media time, and uh, that's, which is a new thing for us. And they're doing a great job of infuriating huge swaths of the human population while they're at it. So, uh, uh, you know, any, any media coverage is good media coverage, I guess, right? Yep. And something about 
Elon Musk too is he uh, he takes jokes to the next level. Um, this is definitely a meme coin. The Dogecoin was really made as a joke coin after Bitcoin. The same open source technology is it not, Kevin? Do you know about that? I'm sure it's very similar. Yep. I think it's almost identical or very similar, and I, I think they update it in different ways, obviously. And they, they, uh, they have a group of people, uh, computer programmers, who do things for it. But um, it's a joke coin, and it's now worth more than anyone thought it would ever be worth, and it's likely going to keep going up. Uh, Elon has been criticized for pumping this coin by just making one simple tweet and then all of a sudden it goes up like 200 percent and it went up uh i think it went up about three thousand percent in the past year uh possibly more um it's gone it's gone insane it was less than a penny a year ago i believe or maybe just a little more than a year ago and now i think it's hovering around 20 to 30 cents uh if you listen to this podcast in two or three years it'll be very interesting if it's worth two or three dollars or if it's back down to half a cent uh we don't know how serious this joke coin really is well and and it's it doesn't seem like they think it's a joke anymore because uh spacex is calling their their next moon mission where they're they're sending a uh falcon x or sorry a falcon 9 rocket loaded with uh, commercial payload to the moon. So it's going to basically be dropping satellites en route to the moon as it, as it, I guess it loops around, uh, I presume, or goes out to moon orbit and then continues on. I'm not entirely sure, but they're calling it Doge One. Uh, so, and it's anybody who wants to get something onto that as payload can or should pay in Dogecoin. Um, Hence the Geometric Energy Corporation, this Canadian company that's sending up this uh, this brand selfie machine. Um, and uh, and if I can just read a quote from their vice president of commercial sales, this is SpaceX's vice president of commercial sales, Tom Ochenero. He says, we will demonstrate the application of cryptocurrency beyond Earth orbit and set the foundation for interplanetary commerce. So they're they're doing this very deliberately. Um, yeah. Well, I'd love your, to hear your, your take on that. Going to be on, what's your currency going to be on Mars? It's not going to be like, U.S. dollars. Looks like it's Doge. Well, now that I, I know how to pronounce it, I'm ready to buy it. <laughs> I, I was always confused by that. <laughs> I just... Doge, dog, doggy, doggy yeah. coin? What is this? I called it Dodge, but... <laughs> I, th- I think there's going to be lawsuits in the future. I, yeah. I, I, think, I think some people are going to take a bath and then... We'll get to watch it play out in the courts. I, I, I'm a little skeptical of this stuff. It just feels like, uh, like junk bonds from the '80s. You know, like uh, I, I maybe there's an iteration of this that that that's successful and reliable and doesn't like have these wild swings based on tweets. Like I, I'm pretty conservative. I'm not a, 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 an expert in investing at all. I I I pay money for for other people who are into that thing to do that for my family. But I, yeah, I'm deeply skeptical of it. I'm just like, if, if my, if, if, you know, if if my financial advisor called me up and said, yeah, we're going to go into this, then maybe, but I I haven't gotten that call from her yet. (laughs) So I do, I'm just going to watch it play out and let other people make a gazillion dollars. I, I, yeah, I, I, I may be the classic person also who misses out on, on the the ground floor of these sort of things too. So, I mean, I'm, but yeah, I, it gives me a weird skeezy feeling when, 
you know, whenever the, any kind of sort of Bitcoin stuff, stuff comes up, I just, I don't know. I'm not in yet. Wait, you're yeah, right. I you're right. That in, happens. Oh. No, sorry, I was going to say you're right in that there are laws against pump and dump, right? If you, if Elon Musk goes out there and says, go out and buy Dogecoin, which he has basically, uh, if he then turns around and sells a significant proportion of what he owns, um, that's against the law, especially in his in his position. Um, so, what he needs to do, and what SpaceX needs to do, is stick with Doge, and, and right. then this is this is all legit. The question is, he did that with Bitcoin previously, and then he says, you know what, I'm pulling out of Bitcoin, or he didn't say that explicitly. He said he's shifting his focus towards Doge, um, which is just unimaginable to me. I, I just don't know why he picked that one. Um, you know, when there are so many better cryptocurrencies, uh, like technologically. Uh, but in any case, we'll see what it goes. Like this interplanetary commerce, this the foundation for interplanetary uh, interplanetary commerce is really trying to create a kingdom out there. This is a little science conversation here. Science Musk. Science Musk. Very good. <laughs> That's what we should call it. <laughs> I could I couldn't help myself. I'm sorry. It had it had the the billboard aspect. It had the Dogecoin aspect. It was just too much. I had That's to do it. great. Well, I like it. Well, after all the talk that I've heard about this, uh, Tristan uh, and Kevin, especially right uh, from you guys, and I've always been there with Sam, very skeptical about any of this kind of thing uh, uh, being real. This story actually makes me interested in running out and buying something. Like I, I'd buy a hundred bucks tomorrow. Uh, that that like I think this is just the fact, like you said, right? That that now it's going to pay for something large, and it's going to be visible, and it's going to be in the actual world economy and the space economy, right? That suddenly makes me think like, oh, this could be good. And it's true, right? That the, the space economy and the interplanetary economy will eventually run on something. I kind of you know it won't be any of the standard currencies probably that we use today, that would be incredibly unfair. So we will have to come up with some sort of neutral global currency uh, in which to, to trade the vast sums of money that will likely be made and, and spent in space. So, hey, maybe it could be this one. Yep. I mean, I'm just, I, I'm just constantly, the worry in the back of my head is, 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 is this like how much energy it takes in computation to, yep. to do this. And, and to me, I mean, I get that that's sort of the essential thing. But it also seems artificial and there are alternatives. Needless. Like there, there are other, that's why I say there are other cryptocurrencies that are technologically better that don't require the proof of work. You know this mm -hmm. this huge amount of computation. Mm -hmm. um, the ether, the Ethereum network, is looking at option alternatives to proof of work. And and honestly, mm -hmm. like um, I I agree with you that this is it, these currencies have never been used really as currencies. They've always been right. used as assets. It's like buying gold, right? And yeah. and uh, you can of course buy it to use it, but most people don't. Monero is a different one though. All the the North Koreans and all of the gangsters and you know people who are doing murder for hire, they all use Monero because it's so private. Um, and that's where and that one is actually very actively used as a currency. And I'll shut up about this in a second. But if Doge is actually being used as a currency um, for interplanetary stuff, I agree with you that there's where you put your money is in currencies that are actually used as currency. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I don't think it's far off that uh, countries just start saying, like, do you really think we're going to have plastic and paper money and, and, and metals uh, in 10 years? I don't think so. I honestly think it's going to be as... Everyone's already using their phones. I, I mean, uh, you see it all the time. People are using their phones for the bank account. It's going to be as simple as that soon. It's just, 
there's no reason to have physical money when you can just digitize the money. It'd be interesting if uh, countries actually put a cap on the money, though, and said we're only going to produce one billion of these because then the value of that money goes up instead of down. And I think that's one of the biggest arguments for Bitcoin is its scarcity uh, that drives the price. And uh, countries that just print money freely, there's no scarcity. And that's why the value goes down. Uh, and that's why the, your loaf of bread goes up. Our, our whole world, our countries right now are working, are doing uh, uh, taxation through inflation, right? As we, as we print money and we buy, and, and the central banks are buying our bonds, that's yeah. taxation, right? It's taxation through inflation. And, uh, you know, yeah. they can't tax us politically, uh, so they tax us through inflation, which honestly is not a horrendous idea. It just means that it, because uh, it, governments can't tax, they just don't have the political will for it. So how do they pay for stuff? Interesting, yeah. It's That's just totally really, true. it's hurting the poor, though. Oh, well, yeah. It's hurting it's, and the old, right? The yeah. elderly. And the absolutely. Fixed income, yeah. Yep. yeah. It will increase the, the, the fiscal divide between the 99% and the 1%. It's just, it's only exacerbating inequality. Yeah. Did you guys uh, watch a really good TV show recently? Because I heard there's a good TV show out there. I have not seen it, but... Uh... Oh, my Loki. God. I am going to step right forward here and say, dun, 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 Loki, wow, what an amazing show. Holy smokes, best show I've seen in a long, long time. Best Marvel show, best sci-fi show. I'm just over the moon about Loki. I thought it was, it was just, uh, and it only got better and better. I was a little skeptical. It's, I think, six episodes. The first episode, you're like, whoa, what's going on? Marvel's doing all this really weird stuff lately uh, especially following on uh, what was it vision one division right that was good too but super weird and then loki comes along and you're like okay they're doing it again but every episode just took me further and further in and by the finale i thought like wow i mean visually stunning well written great characters sets up the next chapter of the marvel universe in a really really great uh, time travel story, right? Like, if you want to time travel, uh, forwards, backwards, and in between, and around and around, like, man, they they sure do a lot of timelines in <laughs> in this show. So, I loved it. Run out and see it if you can. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I just uh, we we did it as a sort of family co-viewing, and it was perfect. You know, the, the you know me, my wife, and twelve year old. We are all equally entertained. Uh, right and uh yeah, yeah it was fantastic and you're right like it i was really surprised at how inventive and creative um they you know and how far they went with it uh just having worked in tv and back in the day where we took pitches and and they got you know they got put through the car wash and then and then uh you know you know when, when they did make it through to 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 air it's a it's a pretty remarkable uh, gamble that that in a creative leap that that the commissioning editors took to uh, green light this kind of show mm -hmm. and with WandaVision as well it really does take uh, uh, some corporate uh, corporate brains yeah exactly <laughs> to 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 uh, to get this sort of thing to air so I was really surprised by it because I kind of figured marvel superhero stuff and there'll be it'll be like a sort of watered down daily thor show of some sort or spin-off and right absolutely like x-files level great mm -hmm. tv you know like a, uh really yeah, fantastic yeah I, yeah heartily heartily recommend it the 
art direction's really good. And like Marty was saying, you know, just the, the places that they go with this program was, uh, was really, really something else. And the, um, the, the different Lokis from the different, anyways, I, I can't give up to, oh, it's just it's so, hard to know how much to say. Yeah. yeah I don't want, yeah, exactly. Cause you don't want to spoil it. Like there's such like, and it's not even like you could give out all the, the plot points, but all the spoiler stuff is just all the cool stuff within it, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. So how many they, episodes is it? Six, I think. Yeah, six okay well yeah. I, my daughter's been saying we got to watch loki we got to watch loki and i've been and i've been hearing from you guys this is a great show and so i i gotta have to go out and just pound through them yeah yeah it's great i mean my kids were also driving it pretty hard there was a lot of talk um i mean my both my 10 and 13 year old children are very tuned into you know what's going on with uh with kids these days with, with their sexuality, with identifying, you know, as, uh, uh, as uh, different types. And, um, and there was news that my daughter brought to me that Loki was officially, you know, going to be sanctioned and put out there as the bisexual superhero. He's bisexual. Loki's bisexual. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, that's great. Um, I guess I haven't seen that story yet. I, I was a little surprised it was Loki. I'm sure there's other candidates out there and maybe th there are, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying he's the big one, but it became very interesting to watch this series, knowing that in the back of your mind that, you know, they're also sort of tackling this notion of, of not just gay or straight, but, but, uh, you know, bi is, is another uh, unique and, and, in its own sort of ident identity. And so there's nothing explicit. Uh, I don't want to make anyone think that, you know, Loki's like sleeping with men, sleeping with women in this show or anything. Uh, that's not at all what's going on. But they did it kind of mer metaphorically. Um, and, and I will give away this one thing. I mean, it's, it's kind of the big thing in the show, but it comes pretty early. But there's a, there are different versions of all the characters that, that you know and love uh, on different timelines in, in this. And we're used to this from the Marvel Universe. Um, but there's a female version of Loki. And so there's a female version of Loki that meets the male version of Loki and, and Loki being the archetypal narcissist, right? That, that is what Loki is. He is a narcissist. <laughs> uh, you know, it's his character through and through and through, and he falls in love with himself basically, uh, but his, and, and both genders of himself. And so it becomes this really interesting story. I think, you know, to, to watch uh, culturally um, from at least this perspective uh, to see, to see that, that, yeah, what they do with Loki in this whole show. Hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's also just as a side note it's just nice to see owen wilson in something again oh my god yeah so yeah. great yeah oh That's, owen wilson's back yeah, yeah. oh he's the co-star man it's amazing yeah and he's oh. he's just he's himself man he's he's right at a zoolander almost no well, no he's not but i love owen wilson and i see him as uh who was he in zoolander Does anyone remember uh the, the rival model yeah the rival it, model guy yeah, yeah, yeah whoever his name is yeah um, but he's yeah there's a bit of uh there, i mean if you go back to like bottle rocket which was his sort of like indie breakout role there's a bit of that and this a sort of it's like he's a grown-up grizzled detective now who is skipping timelines anyways it's uh right. it was good to see uh him sort of uh his sort of charming uh lilt you know as he yeah. sort of kind of meanders through kind of stumbles through the, the the you know different timelines and and uh and arcs in the show is really good yeah uh, so 
this month uh, we read Old Man's War. And this is uh, Military Sci-Fi by John Scalzi. And this is, was his, his debut novel. And it was published in 2005 and it was nominated for a Hugo for Best Novel in 2006. And it is now a series. It's, uh, the sequel is The Ghost Brigades. And then there's The Last Colony in 2007 and Zoe's Tale in 2008. And there's even another book in the series that's come out, uh, The Human Division. And uh, so lots to go with here, but as, as, uh, as my first Scalzi novel and uh, um, intro to, to his writing, I thought it was really, really good. I really enjoyed uh, this month's book. I, I tore through it really quickly. We were up at the beach, up at the cottage uh, for a week and um i didn't 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 even make it the whole week i had it done by like you know midweek on the beach and and uh i thought it was a great job uh, he, he did yeah i'm gonna read more i'm gonna read the whole series i was just telling kevin this and um so i was just kind of reading up his wikipedia article and some of this sort of stands out for me there is i did feel like there's a lot of starship troopers in this and in um and some and he talks about some Heinlein um influence as well but the idea is that you know as yeah this far point in the future as uh, as people age uh they can enlist in the um in the military and the colonial defense forces this is sort of like a space defense force for human uh colonists and so they leave earth uh, at a at an advanced age and then they are given new bodies and then go off and they're never allowed to return back to earth and they and then they go off and 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 fight on behalf of uh human interests across uh the galaxy and so our characters go through this sort of evolution of going from very elderly people to becoming young again and having near sort of superhuman abilities uh, in their new bodies um, and then being thrust into training and going fighting strange uh, um, alien uh, races. There is the, the galaxy we learn is sort of divided up amongst competing races and and um, and uh, and alliances. And so there isn't a lot of uh, Star Trek um, uh, uh, sort of. Uh, optimism here where we we go and interact kindly and peaceably with with uh, neighbors in fact we're competing for for worlds and resources against other powerful empires across the galaxy so your life expan expectancy in the uh, uh, in the colonial forces is uh, decidedly short but uh, if you're going to die soon anyways why not i guess is the idea of the recruitment poster and uh, so they really did take he uh, the author really took this book in a lot of fun places a lot of fun directions and um as an ex-military person i mean this was a long time ago i was in the service but i a few things he really like the things that that i could relate to he really did well he did boot camp well he did the, the idea of you get a whole bunch of people who would never otherwise talk to one another and shove them together and force them to, to to get along and you know live with each other's farts and idiosyncrasies and all that kind of stuff and he really does a a, a good job of of getting that across and uh it was um 
uh, a lot of fun to read. I, I hope, uh, I hope uh, I, oh, this was based on one of your recommendations. So I, I, I partly, I get to share the blame if, if, not, if not all of you liked it. But. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I loved it. I mean, I thought it was, it was enormously entertaining, I would say. Uh, I, 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 I will also bring forth my comparison. So I've been reading uh, reviews on, on Goodreads. And the very first thing that sort of jumps up there is comparisons with the forever war, which I don't know if you guys have read, but that's Joe Haldeman's uh, very, uh, you know, super classic book uh, of military sci-fi from the seventies. Um, and that's also what, it, what I thought of at first when I was like, Oh, you know, if you read a little synopsis of this, the plot actually sounds fairly similar. Uh, but then you read the book and I'm very, I was very happy. I mean, I love the forever war. It was really, you know, uh, iconic and and changed my perspective on many things i've never been in the military i've never been to war but um old man's war is not that book it, it, as much as it sounds like it old man's war is it's also not just the funny version of that book <laughs> but it is funny right whereas the, the forever war is not a funny book there's no humor there um and uh i just i love the quality of the writing i just thought he, he's just he's just a great writer he just has this mysterious something and you know we've been reading a lot of different writers and i i still don't know how to tell what it is that that some writers do that others just can't or don't but but john scalzi's an amazing writer i mean it's just effortless uh, I, I flew this book through this book too in like three four days max uh it's entertaining it's all conversations it's all characters um you know i i thought the battle scenes were fun i thought the the not battle scenes were fun you know the the the, the conversations between aliens and humans i mean he just really drew me in i, I i'm totally into this series um if if uh, i would totally i would love to read the rest of it too absolutely what do yeah, you think kevin I, yeah i i agree with the, the about the writing too there wasn't a word in this book that was unnecessary you know he's yeah. he's not a verbose writer and uh i really appreciated the uh you know getting to the point and getting getting it out there and uh without being uh especially for this type of book right for this type of book it worked really well his writing style um <clears throat> and and he had he had some really cool ideas this the one the central concept for at the beginning that you were talking about sam where you know, these people who lived nice, cushy lives on Earth are given this option to prolong their life, but they have to go into the military. And uh, and and that's a great conundrum, even to a pacifist, somebody who really loves life at the age of 75 and has to make this decision. Um, the idea of going into the military might be unpalatable, but, you know, if I get a second chance at life, maybe... Maybe I would take that, right? Like even myself, I'm certainly not somebody who would gravitate towards the military, but I kept thinking to myself, wow, if I could get a whole new body and if I could start again, um, maybe I would do my two to 10 years worth of military time, um, despite the, 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 you know, the terribleness of killing aliens and maybe being violently killed, right? Um, I would certainly be tempted. And I don't know, would you guys be tempted to do that? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and just... I think that... That's the just amazing. Just for the, sorry, but just for the one time when you first get your new body. Remember that chapter where they just have fun for a week or so? They just have days? sex for a week. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that was great too. <laughs> like that just was... for that after being. Yeah, yeah. Then I'd in... put myself out the airlock. I'd be like, I got my week. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I just well, I, think... I just want to pick up really quickly on what Kevin and and Marty, what you both talked about, how he wrote. 
and I just was doing it. I was just re refreshing myself on him, and and uh, so I just want to quote his his uh, Wikipedia entry here. Uh, it says Scalzi took what he learned about Heinlein and produced four lessons on how to create a novel centered on characters. His lessons are that a story should only exist for its characters, should make room in the characters for the reader, make the characters talk like people, and make the characters act like people. Hmm. His novel's themes were based on the, these four lessons in which they make a character as connectable as possible while still keeping his theme of, you know, the space military. So that's sort of I, 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 what you just mentioned about his style, I thought sort of spoke to that quote that I picked up on and I hadn't actually thought about it that way, but there was, I think he wrote with a design, you know, and he wrote this it, with, with this in mind. I think that had a lot to do with making it so easy to, to move along the story with when you have to suspend your disbelief pretty, pretty readily into pretty far extremes in a lot of, a lot of cases. And, and, uh, and I thought he did a really good job with that. Anyways, not just to sort of sidebar on, on that piece of, of, uh, of the conversation. Well, it's been a long time since I've read any Heinlein, but I think now that you mention it and now that I think about it, you know, Scalzi is Heinlein distilled down to like the fine Scotch version of Heinlein instead of the, the cheap giant jug of, wine version of Heinlein because Heinlein Ouch. is verbose and Ouch. it's way too verbose and you know like yeah Scalzi's sort of taken the best of I guess what, what Heinlein figured out about how to write a good story and 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 did so in an appropriate 361 pages yeah. it's mostly dialogue between characters that take that story further um it's descriptive but it's not that descriptive he really um allows the the conversations between characters to take it to the next level. Uh, also, I, I thought, I didn't know whether to find this sad or cute, or I don't know, I just had mixed feelings when they fought those, I forget what they were called, the tiny creatures that were basically a few inches tall, <laughs> but they were basically humans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That was like the cutest thing, but my heart was broken when we stepped on, or when I say we, the, like the humans or the avatar of these humans or whatever you want to call them i forget actually what they are called but when we killed these little guys it was sad and uh they were probably not bad aliens they just wanted their own colony somewhere for themselves uh, a question that i was asking myself the whole way through is is this going to end with humans being the bad guys uh because really you can't tell you're on the inside uh so um I will say I've gone into the second book, um, The Ghost Brigades. Uh, and I would say The Ghost Brigades is a better book. So if you guys like this, you, going further, I, you'll really enjoy. It's even a, uh, a third-person narrative, so it's different than, uh, than the first-person narrative of the first book. Um, and it... It really goes into the subject of consciousness and what is consciousness. Uh, he tackles bigger subjects, and uh, it's not as funny as the first book, but I think it's I think it's a better book, and it really it ends uh, in a really great way too. So um, definitely recommend going further. I haven't got gone much further than the second book, so I'll be going into the last colony sometime soon, which is the third. And I believe there's two more. Is that what you said, Sam? Two more after that? Even more. Now that I'm looking at the, the, yeah, there's at least two more in the series. And I think then there's a spinoff from there. 
Yeah, he okay. seems to. I recall just having looked at it, like that he did like book one, two, three, four, maybe five and six. I'm not sure. And now there's books one point five, two point five, three point five, something like that. I've noticed is, is the way they're categorized. So I don't know if he's inserting like an Ender's Game, right? The Ender's Game saga. He sort of inserts maybe a different story, right, uh, in the same time. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but uh, but yeah, there are a lot of books. I do have the passage about the Kovandu one inch tall people. God damn it! <laughs> that too. I said, grabbed the Kovandu like a ball bearing and angrily flung him into a nearby skyscraper. He zoomed off, spinning in a flat arc, decelerated with a tinny thunk when he hit the building and fell the two remaining meters to the ground. Any other Kovandu in the area apparently decided against assassination attempts. I turned to Alan. Don't you have a squad to pay to pay attention to? I asked. He'd been promoted after his squad leader had had his face torn off by an angry Gindalian. I could ask you the same question, he said, and then he shrugged. They're fine. They have their orders, and there's no real opposition anymore. It's clean and sweep. The Tipton can handle the squad for that. Oh, Keys told me to come hose you down and find out what the hell is wrong with you. So what the hell is wrong with you? Christ, Alan, I said. I've just spent three hours stepping on intelligent beings like they were fucking bugs. That's what's wrong with me. I'm stomping people to death with my fucking feet. This, I swept out an arm. It's just totally fucking ridiculous, Alan. These people are one inch tall. It's like Gulliver beating the shit out of the Lilliputians. <laughs> All right, well, here's an example of the... of. Of Scalzi's dialogue. I love this this little passage. Uh, I think it'll give you a good sense of, of what his writing is like. Hey, look who's back, this new voice said. The man too dumb to die. This time I wasn't floating in a vat of goo. I glanced over and made out where the voice's, voice was coming from. Harry, I said, as well as I could through an immobile jaw. The same, he said, bowing slightly. Sorry, I can't get up, I mumbled. I'm a little banged up. A little banged up, he says, Harry said, rolling his eyes. Christ on a pony! There was more of you missing than there was there, John! I know. I saw them haul your carcass back up off Coral. When they said you were still alive, my jaw dropped to the floor. Funny, I said. Sorry, Harry said. No pun intended. But you were almost unrecognizable, John. A mess of parts. Don't take this the wrong way, but I prayed you would die. I couldn't imagine they could piece you back together like this. Well, glad to disappoint you, I said. Glad to be disappointed, he said. And then someone else entered the room. Jesse, I said. Jesse came around the bed and gave me a peck on the cheek. Welcome back to the land of the living, John, she said, and then stepped back. Look at us, together again, the three musketeers. Anyway, it's that kind of banter. That kind of banter is just all the way through, and I love it. It's, it just goes down like pure clean water. <laughs> he paints a picture of familiarity between the characters. It's just yeah. it's yeah. It, that's and that's what I think this military camaraderie is supposed to be all about. Right. Right. Yeah, it is. It is pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah I, well, I thought the most realistic part was when he got he got bunked up with that really annoying guy. And I was like, Oh yeah, I got bunked up with that dude. Like when <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm going to be stuck with this person all the way through. And uh, in some cases I was, uh, but uh, you know, uh, it, it, it does it like, I'm still friends with all the, the, 
the the guys that I I was in with, and that was like, you know, this is thirty years ago almost. So it's it you do come out with uh, uh, having this sh- like sh- shared experience, and and uh, it does really capture that well here. I thought it it, it oh, most often it's like really gung ho and macho, and and the gung ho st- stuff really does wear off pretty quickly and um and for most people it is you know particularly down in the states it's it's a, a way to get out of a bad neighborhood right it's uh, america's only real social program it's not necessarily um like people you know who are super rah-rah about you know joining the military or something it's this it's their sort of stepping stone out of a, a crappy situation so for me my experience down there with the u.s was was one where i found my people, you know, and, and found, you know, sort of less enthusiastic group of friends who, who, uh, uh, you know, were all kind of thrust into the same place from various different backgrounds. And, and, and like I said, we wouldn't otherwise have met. And so I'm, I'm always grateful for that. And you do come out with that sort of, um, you know, you, it's like you have to eat the same crappy food and all this sort of stuff. I never, I thankfully never had to deal with combat or anything like that. So that's a whole other thing. And right. the way they handle that combat in this, in this story is really kind of fun and also sort of reminiscent of a really cool comic from the eighties. If I can bring comics into this, yeah. uh, if you like this, you'll probably get a kick out of alien Legion, which was, uh, published by Epic Comics. And I just got to look at. I had to look this up because I remember this from when I was a kid. I was like ten years old reading this series. Uh, created by Carl Potts, Alan uh, Zelenitz, and Frank uh, Sirocco, and uh, it's a totally fun. Like it's like the French Foreign Legion, but in space. It had a lot to some very similar sort of stories like this one, where they're going from planet to planet and fighting. Uh, strange aliens and lots of lasers and spaceships and it kind of brought me back to that and so if you want uh, if you really enjoyed this and 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 you're looking for again a kind of fun read uh, and but with pictures there's uh, there's good uh, graphic novel that goes along with this one thing I would say also about this is is uh, for those of you who don't like war movies necessarily or war books or or things like that this is this type of thing almost gives you social license to like the warring because they make the aliens such other they are they are so evil they are so hell-bent on destroying humans that and they're so ugly and they're just you know it, it really caters to this terrible um base element of humanity which is hating things that are other than us um but it almost provides you that social license to say you know what just go kill them all i feel fine about you blowing them up there's there's no problem with it if you have moral problems with killing other humans and you don't like war war stories in that regard you don't need to worry about it because the e skulls does such a good job with the exception of those little tiny humans that he was stomping on um uh, apart from that all of the the antagonists are just so terrible we want them dead and you know i'm not i'm not usually a big fan of of explicit war stories but this one i really enjoyed i thought it was great something uh to note about mr skullsy is he has a new book coming out in March 2022, and it's mm-hmm. called The Kaiju Preservation Society. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've reached out to him, and he likely will be joining us in uh, early 2022. So that's kind of exciting. We'll definitely be talking about his new book, The Kaiju Preservation Society. Awesome. Yes.
Yes. Uh, so the next book we are reading is Shards of Earth by Adrian Tchaikovsky. I've already gotten into this book a little bit. I have to say the characters are just beautiful. You like every single one of them. The story is, uh, it's very well put together. Tchaikovsky is a, a really neat writer. He is, I believe he's been mainly writing fantasy for the past 10 years, and he just started to do some science fiction in the last three or four years, maybe five years. Uh, Children of Time uh, was suggested to me by Marty, and I believe Kevin's read that as well. That, I have to say, I think, Marty, you've said it's one of your favorite books. It also would be in my top favorite books as well. So what we're reading this month uh, is very different. Shards of Earth is very different from that. Uh, It is your typical space opera. So there's an entity called the Architects, and they have destroyed all kinds of shit. And uh, the Architects left, and they haven't been seen in about 80 years. And uh, then we meet a group of people who kind of go on this adventure. And two of these people were around 80 years ago when the Architects first left. So it's a, it's a really chunky book. Just like Children of Time, the pages just, they, they turn themselves. Uh, that's what I'm finding. It's about, uh, it's nearly 600 pages, and I'm just about done. because it, And it, it felt like nothing. Because uh, the way that Adrian Tchaikovsky writes is just so uh, entertaining. And he just pulls you along. He makes every character likable. And uh, you, you fall in love with the way he tells a story. So I hope you guys like this. Um, yeah, Shards of Earth, Adrian Tchaikovsky. Also. And this is maybe, hot off the presses, right? This is yeah, August 3rd, 2021. Yep. So this book did just come out. And already a lot of people are raving about it and saying it's just super fun. And it's a great uh, a book for anyone to pick up. Uh, I would agree. I would recommend th- th- this book to anyone because it's it's just a it's a fun romp. It doesn't bend your mind as much as the Children of Time, Children of Ruin, uh, because like I said, it's kind of a fun space opera. But he seems to just really connect with the human spirit and share that with other species, uh, so that when we read about other species, we're able to really relate to them. Uh, mind you, there are many human characters in this book. Uh, so when we talk about this book, Shards of Earth uh, by Adrian Tchaikovsky, we are going to have Stephen Novella join us as a guest host. He is also going to be reading this book, and we are going to have him on the episode talking about the book and going through uh, a regular episode with us. So I think we're all super excited to have one of the godfathers of podcasts join us on the show as a guest host. Awesome. Yeah. Totally exciting. Well, I'm really excited about this book, about talking to Adrian Tchaikovsky, about about co-hosting with uh, Stephen Novella. Things are really picking up for us. Um, but Adrian Tchaikovsky is easily my favorite like contemporary science fiction author. Uh, I love his books. I love everything he's written. Unbelievable. Like Children of Time, it by far the the best ending of a book I've ever heard in my life like he just keeps you going he strings you along and you're fascinated and interested and and you just want to know how is he going to pull this off how is he going to bring it all together I mean it's this tome looking book where you're you're like 50 pages from the end you still don't know how he's going to end it and 20 pages from the end you still don't know and two pages from the end you're still like what 
I've got two pages. How is he going to pull this off? And literally in the last page, he just brings it all together. It's the best ending I've, I, I remember reading anyway. Uh, and, and I love that book. And the sequel was just as good. And, and, and it's really, they're both books about, uh, they're biological science fiction. So I kind of love that, right? Very science-y, very biology-based, very much, you know, thinking and talking about uh, the evolution of a species, the evolution of intelligence in a species, the particular kind of intelligence that could evolve, you know, based on uh, the environment and, and the evolutionary history of a species. So um, I don't know if that sounds boring. To me, that's super fascinating because all my friends are biologists. <laughs> but, uh, you nerd. Uh, the time was awesome. And I might even bring it back as one of my choice for the book of the month because I, I love it so much. Uh, so I'm really excited about reading Adrian Tchaikovsky's latest sci-fi novel. I love that it's space opera. I, I'm really ready for that. And I uh, can't wait to talk to him. Great. You too. Good all right. Let's... Uh... Let's shake things up with some trivia. All right. For us. All right. What do you got for us, Sam? Well, this episode, I, I, I was, I was trying to think of, of what I wanted to do and, and I was forced to describe what my fit, what, what the ideal man would be. Hmm. And that's a, maybe an old oh, fashioned question to ask. Yeah, I know. And I, and I always felt that it was 50%, um, Peter Venkman from the Ghostbusters, Bill Murray, and 50% Han Solo. So for trivia, <laughs> we're going to test your Han Solo knowledge. Are you guys ready? Are you Han Soloed up? Oh, I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready. Yeah. Totally. I was hoping for a little Luke Skywalker, but uh, Sam is more into Han Solo. So screw that guy. Yeah. <laughs> totally Han Solo. Got some odd stuff here. Okay. Starting off, what is Han Solo's home planet? I can oh, give you options. Oh, dang. So, I want to say is, Earth, but it's just, it, they're from another galaxy. So, <laughs> is it uh, Dagobah, Tatooine, or Corellia? Corellia. Dagobah. Tatooine! <laughs> <laughs> it's Corellia. Damn it. <laughs> um, Han Solo once completed the Kessel Run in how Under many nine seconds. Not nine parsecs. Got, no, seven. 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 Mm-hmm. In a, okay, seven. Anyone else? I don't remember. It, I'll, give you the four, I'll give you four choices, and, and none of them are seven. <laughs> Forty, twelve, or fourteen? Fourteen. I have a question. Isn't a parsec it's a, distance a unit of distance? Yes. So yes. how do you complete a run between two... Because George in, Lucas is not supposed to ask yeah, that. Distance. Yeah, the, I mean, I get time. We're used to that, but this implies some pretty interesting, like I think you the know, Kessel Run physics. I think the, in or, space, or, Star Wars, or the yeah. Kessel Run is a is a, is a discussion of time, right? So maybe maybe the Kessel Run require is a is some something that involves I don't know three days worth of movement. And oh, you can the do Kessel that. Run and... is, an, is a unit of time, maybe, and, and you do it in a unit of space. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I'm gonna, uh, you know, I'm gonna give you guys both yes on that. You're both probably correct because <laughs> Lucas was not a known physicist, and, uh, <laughs> but he did like. I, I think he just thought it was a cool sounding name, and uh, and Han Solo completed the the, uh, the Kessel Run in twelve parsecs. Oh. 
12. Yeah, it's 14 for sure. Damn. Hey, how right. far is a parsec? Anybody know? Mm. No oh. idea. I oh. in my it's basically job. like a meter, I'm sure. I, th I think three, if we ask George three. Lucas, he'll have the exact answer. <laughs> it's, it's at least 12 Kessel runs. It is a unit of length used to measure large distances to astronomical objects outside the solar system, approximately equal to 3.26 light years. Oh. There wow. Or 30.9 trillion kilometers. It's close to a meter. The Millennium meter. Falcon I mean... can't do that. Come on. That thing's a piece of junk. And I so saw Solo. He did 12 of those. He did 12 parsecs is the, yeah, okay. Uh, Whatever that means. Apparently. It means in he did about 40 light years worth of traveling. Nice on one, George. Line. All right. Good work, George. Good question. All right. Mike. Why did Jabba the Hutt place a bounty on Han Solo's head? Was it because I can give you options. Can was I, can I because... just throw one guess, even though I'm never right? Yeah. He was delivering some spice and he, and he left. He didn't complete the delivery. Spice? That... You're in the wrong universe, dude. No, no was... that's no, it's his spice. Oh. That's correct. Oh. Really? Correct. Yeah. There's yeah. spice in the Star Wars universe? He dumped a valuable shipment of spice. Wow. Yeah. So spice. So Han Solo was a spice. Uh, um, not a hustler. Smuggler. Runner. Smuggler. A runner, I guess. Spice runner. Yeah. Spice runner. Uh, but the spice that was totally taken from Dune. So Star Wars was very much taken from Dune, and uh, actually Valenuve, who's Dune's coming out very very soon, said that he went to Star Wars hoping to see Dune, and he didn't get it at all, and he was always just dis disappointed with Star Wars. Oh. And uh, and but also realized how much it ripped off from Dune. So, sorry, I ripped off these questions from someone else. So we're, you know we're all stealing today. Yeah, we got to yeah, steal a bit. We got to steal. Everybody steals all the time. What was it? And we've said this before, but the bad artists uh, copy, good artists steal, mm -hmm. and I, I, that's always a good one. All artists theft. All right. Um, how did Harrison Ford get the role of uh, Han Solo? Anyone know this story? I know this one. He's, he was a carpenter on set, right? Oh, yes. And really? uh, and and I think I, and I don't know the the next step, but I know that either there was some mix up with casting, and he said, "Hey, I'll do it," or I don't know. Do you know the rest of the story, Sam? I do, and none of none of what you said is correct, but Damn it. I did like it. It was good. <laughs> Wait, I have an answer. I have another answer. He did a okay. flying roundhouse kick uh, to take the cigarette out of the director's mouth. No, wait. No, that was Jean-Claude Van Damme. Ah. However he got so it, it, and if I can throw it a guess there, too. Go for it. So, I, I, Kevin, you're, you're totally right. He was a carpenter but before being an actor. But oh. I believe, because so, he had already been in a George Lucas film. He was in American Graffiti. A Western. Um, and, and a Western. Mm -hmm. So, but I think he was just asked to come in and read opposite a character. And his reading, he, I think he had the read for someone like, like uh, Mark Hamill or something like that, or maybe even uh, Carrie Fisher. And he was just supposed to read the opposite line for their audition. And then he did well and they asked him to stay. That's my, that's, I, feel like that's it's something like that but sam's got the right answer here yeah yeah he was a carpenter and he in and so in between acting jobs he would he he 
he did work as a carpenter and, and maybe worked on Lucas's house or something. I mean, there, there was some sort of prior meeting there, but he, uh, Lucas had uh, uh, Harrison Ford in as a script reader uh, for other actors and, um, and that's how he got the gig. So um, points to uh, Tristan on that. Tristan's the trivia champ today. You're you out of the park, man. Well, it's, it's Star Wars, man. It's not science. <laughs> well, <laughs> and we, we proved that today with a parsec. Yeah. True. <laughs> All right. My final, final question. With the help of Chewbacca, what planet does Han Solo rescue, rescue the Wookiees from? And in what program? I'm guessing it's the Christmas special, the famous Christmas special. Yes. Oh, well, I it, got one right! But, <laughs> but yes! it's not It's not called the Christmas special. Oh, is that? No. Oh. Well, it's a holiday special. A holiday sure. special. <laughs> and, and it would be... The planet, though, you still got to name the planet. Two-part question. Kashyyyk. Earth. Yes. So, what is it? Kashyyyk. Kashyyyk. Oh. There you go. Wookiee planet. I even... Dude, Chewbacca's wife is Mala. Oh, like I should. Okay, maybe I'll do. uh, Maybe I'll go through the characters. We'll do some character (laughs) trivia, and we'll just test your Chewbacca knowledge. We'll we'll let you take it home. Well, it's only because we we had we bought a bootleg of the holiday special back when, like you couldn't before the internet, you couldn't get the holiday special unless you bought someone's bootleg VHS. Uh, And I remember getting that when we were kids. uh, Some at like a, I think it was even like a fan expo in the '90s or something like that. Um, and we watched it all the time because it was so bad. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess I, I, when I say the name Mala, I just see her face. It's Chewie's wife. The the puppet the puppets in the costume were so terrible. It's just I've seen a great it. Time. I, I, I saw part of it on YouTube, and it is everything that you have just described. Yeah, yeah. it's horribly amazing. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel bad. It does all kinds of things to you if you have not seen the holiday special please go look at that right now i think it's on youtube you no longer have to buy it on vhs from some guy in a back alley it's out there it will make your life better even if you hate it you'll reflect on your life and realize how lucky you really are all right adrian tchaikovsky shards of earth we will catch you later thank you for joining us until next time